You're listening to the Hoosier State Sports Show with Adam and Joey. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Hoosier State Sports Show. My name is Joey. As always, I'm joined by my friend Adam. How are you doing, Adam? Pretty good. I'm pretty relaxed today. How about yourself? Not too bad. Just getting back into the swing of things. I returned to work last week after our awesome trip to St. Louis this past weekend. But other than that, not too bad. So before we get into today's episode, Adam and I would like to extend our thoughts and prayers to all those who were affected by the devastating tornado outbreak on March 31st. The National Weather Service has reported that 19 tornadoes hit Indiana on Friday night. Five people died and 11 people were injured, while many homes, farms, and businesses were destroyed and damaged. So our thoughts and prayers are with every single one of those who were affected. And of course, we're praying for our state as we prepare for even more uh, extreme weather they're reporting in the next day or two. And with that said, Adam, do you want to jump in and tell us what we're going to talk about today? Yes, sir. For this week's episode, we're going to be covering the Colts quarterback talks heating up. IU men's and women's teams are seeing more turnover. Will Zach Eady return to Purdue? And finally, the Pacers look to finish the tank job. Yes, indeed. All right, let's get this out of the way. I know people are going to get tired of us talking about Colts and quarterbacks, but you know what? It's April. It's draft month. We're going to be talking about it quite a bit for good reason. But before we get to talking about quarterbacks in the draft, Adam, another topic that I'm sure a lot of Colts fans are getting tired of hearing of, let's talk about Lamar Jackson for a minute. And I just want to bring this up because I want to see if this changes your opinion on the whole ordeal or not. So there was a rumor, and I just read this today, and it was posted by Ravens Country, which is the Sports Illustrated Ravens beat, that the Ravens would consider trading Lamar to the Colts solely for the number four overall pick, meaning we wouldn't have to give up the two first to sign him, but we could trade him possibly for only the number four overall pick. Like I said, this is just rumor. I don't know if there's any merit to it at all, but I just wanted to throw this out there, Adam, to see if this would at all change your opinion on making the move for Lamar. Ah, pressure's all on me here, huh? Well, let me put it to you this way, and I've I've been thinking a lot about this this week as I've been watching, you know, scouting of other quarterbacks. My personal belief is the Ravens are likely getting desperate, and I'm sure that there's an inside source from somewhere inside their organization that's starting to understand we have a disgruntled quarterback. We have him for one year. You you sign him to the tag next year, I believe it's upwards of $50 million, and I think that's regardless of whether it's the non-exclusive tag like he has this year or just the exclusive tag. Now, that being said, if this was true, I think you go for Lamar Jackson. Reason being that, again, the Ravens are not going to want to only get a compensatory third-round pick out of him. That's what they would honestly get. He is that talented. Yep. But if you're talking a high-end first, I'd say you go for it. And I will say this. If the Colts are going to do it, they need to make a move quickly because sources also indicate that New England and Bill Belichick have interest in trading Mac Jones. So 
I'm wondering if Bill Belichick is starting to understand that he's at the end of his rope. So I think it comes down to the more desperate team. But if you can make this move, I think you do it. And I think you got to do it in a hurry. Yeah. And I'm sure this is something that's really going to get moving here soon. I mean, I mean, it's kind of odd to me that a player of Lamar Jackson has come available and there's been little to no movement on him. I mean, I understand there are those injury concerns, which you discussed last week. I think it was in the last two years, he missed 39% of playtime with the Ravens, meaning, you know, you're getting close to half the time that he's missed. So I do understand the concerns, but it's still kind of wild to me that there's a player of this caliber available that hasn't got a whole lot of interest. But I'm sure with the draft coming up, a lot of these things will become, you know, more clear. Obviously, the Ravens still have a desire to keep him per John Harbaugh last week at the owners meeting. But I agree with you. I think, I, like I said last week, I still think this is something that the Colts should consider. It's not a make or break for me, even though I made it sound like that last week. But one pick, I mean, I know it's number four overall, but you can't tell me that Will Levis or Anthony Richardson right now are better than Lamar. But with that being said, if we were to look at the draft, Things are getting a little bit more interesting there as well as the Titans are applying pressure. It's been reported that the Titans are engaging in conversations with the Arizona Cardinals about acquiring their pick. This is huge, Adam, because this would put two of the Colts' division rivals, as in the Texans at two and the Titans potentially at three, ahead of them in the draft. And that would also pretty much guarantee that the Colts would get the fourth out of the top four quarterbacks, whoever that may be. So with that comes the question, Adam. I know you last week you said you didn't hate the idea of trading back. With this news, do you still think the team should stay put or trade back? Or should the Colts be the aggressor this time and beat the Titans to the punch and potentially move up with the uh, the Cardinals? My, I don't know. This is kind of a hard question for him, to be honest. On one hand, you have the team that has been one of the division heads for multiple years. And I think they understand that Jacksonville is right on their heels, if not already better than they are. Absolutely. Ryan Tannehill being older. I know he's a free agent still, if I'm correct. So I know you have those concerns. And last year you got your preview of Malik Willis, who is not ready to be an NFL quarterback. I don't care if anybody disagrees with me on that or not. But I don't think Tennessee makes the move for one reason. And I think it's because I don't know if they have what Arizona is looking for. Now, that all being said, there has been rumors that Arizona could possibly cut DeAndre Hopkins for nothing. I think they are trying to cut salary hard. I think that you could have a very good squeeze play if you're Tennessee and say, hey, we'll take that salary off your hands, no problem either. But as for if that doesn't happen, let's say that that's not on the cards for the Titans, I'd say you need to try to at least inquire with Arizona, but keep in mind that Arizona has the prospect of getting the best defensive player in this draft. And I don't know what their needs are. I think they lost Zach Allen, their defensive lineman, to either Denver or Houston. It was one of those two teams. So I know that you have the linebacker core in Arizona that needs some help. I know the defensive line needs some help. Jalen Carter being available. And I cannot think of the other kid's name that's been talked about at three will anderson yes thank you the alabama edge rusher so you have those two in play i don't 
I don't know if Arizona is willing to bypass that unless they see that there are multiple players and talent that they can get. But as of right now, I don't think Tennessee does anything. So if I'm the Colts, I'm not taking any risks. And I want you to kind of expand on that. Well, and from my end, you you just used the word risk. If I'm the Colts, I don't want to take the risk of this happening. But then the question becomes, if Atlanta is a willing trade partner, what would the compensation look like? So I did a little bit of research. And over the last 23 years, there's been four uh, circumstances that a a, a team traded up to the number three overall pick. And let's kind of look at the compensation of years past. So the most recent, and this is going to sound familiar to Colts fans around the, the Hoosier State, was in 2019, the Colts traded a first-round selection, it was their third overall, to the Jets in exchange for their sixth overall pick, two second-round selections, and a second-round selection the next year. Of course, the Jets went on to select Sam Darnold. If it's a if it's a trade like that, and you'll see here in a minute, the Colts absolutely swept the rug under the feet of the Jets in this trade. They got a haul for that pick, and of course, the Colts yes, used that did. sixth overall pick to get Big Q, Quentin Nelson. Uh, some of the other trades over the last 23 years. The Oakland Raiders, yes, I said Oakland because they were still Oakland at that time, in 2013 traded the third overall pick to Miami in exchange for Miami's first-round selection, which was 12th overall, and a second-round selection, which was 42nd. So that's a little bit more tolerable, just swapping first and adding a second. Then in 2012, and this one's one you're going to want to pay attention to because it's almost exactly what the Colts are looking at now. Minnesota traded the third overall pick to the Cleveland Browns for their fourth overall pick. So exact same circumstances here. Colts have fourth, Cardinals have three. So it'd be the same swap. In addition, the Browns sent the Vikings their fourth round pick, fifth round pick, and seventh round pick. I don't know about you, Adam, but that's a move that I would not be completely disappointed by giving up a fourth, fifth, and seventh, basically to move up one pick? I would honestly – I have my thoughts about that one. Personally, I'd I'd cut out all the the scrappage at the end. The Colts have an extra third that we have from the Carson Wentz trade. Just cut your losses there and make it – if you want to move up, you trade a third, and then you keep your later round picks if you need to. And the the one last trade I wanted to look at in 2000, San Francisco 49ers traded the number three overall pick to Washington for two first-rounders, number 12 and number 24, a fourth-rounder and a fifth-rounder, another instance where I feel like Washington overpaid. But, Adam, looking at these trades as a whole, and mainly that Minnesota trade we just discussed, do you do you see this as being an actual possibility for the Colts, and do you think it's something that they should pursue now that I've laid out trades in the past? Do I see it being an actual possibility? Absolutely. And I think the question becomes for the Colts, they might get some calls that say, hey, uh, your division rival is getting ready to trade up. It, there could be there could be a bidding war for that pick. Now, all of that being said, and again, I'll, I'll use my argument that I just used a second ago. If I'm the Colts at four, I'm taking the risk of staying. And again, for the reason solely of you like both of the quarterbacks that would be available to you at four. You you might lose on the flexibility aspect, but you're getting a prospect that you like either way. And plus I mentioned 
Hendon Hooker last week being a potential option as well. There's now been talks of him entering the first round as early as five. And so if you're the team as well, you're looking at that possibly of, okay, we might have another more pro-ready, and I do say I think he is pro-ready prospect that you can also draft. So you might be looking at either of those. But there's a lot of talks still about Bryce Young going one and what that would mean for t- or for Houston at two. I haven't heard much Houston to um, to Stroud press, but I know that the Colts are bringing in Young and Stroud this week. They're planning on visiting with Levis, I believe, today or tomorrow, and then Richardson on Friday, if I'm right. So again, you have you have options, I think. And if I'm the Colts, I'm I'm not budging on this one. Well, and, and to your point there, this was reported by Destin Adams on Twitter, who's a Colts reporter for Sports Illustrated. And he said the Colts like Levis more than a lot of other teams do. And I think they'd be happy with him at four. But if Richardson and Levis are both there at four, from what he's been told, he believes that they take Richardson. So that does exactly what you said. There's no real need for the Colts to move up if they are content with either of those two options. So it, according to this tweet, it sounds like their preferences on Richardson, which you and I both said that would be our preference between the two last week, but they would be content landing Levis. And if that is indeed the case, then I agree with you there that we should not make that move up. But if and a lot can change in three weeks, Adam, if True. they do fall more in love with one or th- one of these two options, I think you absolutely have to make that move to ensure that you are the one that leaves, you know, the first round of the draft with your guy. Well, I look at, I look at history too. When we made that big trade for that, for the sixth overall pick for the third, I believe it was right around this time. It was like three weeks or so before the draft. I think teams, if they want to make big moves like this, they're going to have to do it soon because I don't think a team's going to want to go into draft night and not have their plan set. Now, that all being aside for a second, I want to go back to the point I was making just a second ago about Tennessee. If you're if you're Tennessee, you have a win now type of roster with Derek Hen- or Derek Henry getting older. You have some of your veterans that are, you know, getting ready to be cut on expensive contracts and things. Tennessee, I think, is only trading up to number three or even into the top 10 if they believe they can get a right now ready quarterback. And again, to me, Tannehill still presents an upgrade in the immediate versus going and getting somebody else. I don't see them going into this year with Malik Willis. And so in my mind, that's another reason I just don't see Tennessee budging on this. Now, someone else I'm not not saying Tennessee – will undoubtedly, you know, move up with Arizona. And I'm not saying they will undoubtedly be pursuing a quarterback in this draft. But at the same time, again, you look around the the division. The Jaguars have their guy in Trevor Lawrence. The Texans are going to get their guy more than likely in Bryce Young. If I'm the Colts, I don't want to take the risk of the Titans also beating us to the punch on getting their guy and us getting the leftovers. And that that's but- where I'll leave it. I, like I said, I don't know that it happens, but if there's even the slightest possibilities and you do fall in love with one of these two in Levis or Richardson in the next three weeks, then I believe the Colts absolutely have to, for once in their life, take a leap of faith on one of these guys and move up with the Cardinals to ensure that they get their guy. Because, you know, we, we talk about 
the Titans, but there's a couple other teams out there that could possibly move up. It's not, it's no guarantee that both of those guys will be left at four. So again, I believe if you fall in love with either of those, you have to eliminate any possibilities of missing out and move up with the Cardinals and solidify yourself as the guy that walks out with your quarterback in that draft. So I think a lot of the question becomes, it's up to the Cardinals to kind of decide. Now, that all being said, and, and I say this with absolute certainty, if the Colts bring these two players, and, I, and I'm going to refer when I say these two to Levis and Richardson only, I'll agree with you that Stroud and Young are probably off the table. If the Colts do not come away impressed with either workout, you have to get a first round. You have to start acquiring talent for next year. That way you can get Drake May or Caleb Williams, who are much more proven in the sense of there's not going to be questions of if they are good quarterbacks. Again, if you're the team, you're not sold, you trade for first next year and you tank this season. And I know that that goes against every fiber in every Colts fan's bodies because it's like new coach, we need to have improvements, but Again, I understand Ballard's going to try to do everything to save his job, but ownership is going to have to decide if I don't want to take, like you just said, you don't want to take a risk, though, in not getting a prospect, but you don't want to take the risk either of getting the wrong prospect because this has significant implications for the next 10 years if we strike out on a quarterback again. And I will say the Colts have not been in this position since 2012 in terms of drafting a quarterback this early. Yeah. So again, and of course, that one was a slam dunk. There was no secrets about what the Colts were going to do. So, and, and this is but this is a little bit different. That's why I'm I'm in I'm erring on the side of caution. Yes, my preference would be to still to trade back. And if I'm trading back. I think teams will also recognize, oh, if I want to get a prospect, this is the year to do it. And ten, let's be honest, if Arizona doesn't trade up, or sorry, if Tennessee doesn't trade up the three, they're not getting a quarterback in the top five because Seattle is likely to take a quarterback of the future as well. Combine that with if someone does take a quarterback at three or doesn't, then you're talking quarterback is going to, someone's going to drop a little bit. You know, speaking could, of Seattle, sorry to interrupt for a second, Adam. I mentioned it earlier, there would be other teams that could possibly be interesting in leapfrogging the Colts, and Seattle's a, a prime candidate. They pick at five right after the Colts, and you can't tell me that they haven't at least had some internal discussions about leapfrogging the Colts to beat them to the punch. So, again, I know we're kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum here, but I believe if they – and, again, this goes back to if they do indeed fall in love with one of those two more than the other. Right now it's being reported they'd be happy with either. But if that happens and a lot can change in three weeks, you absolutely have to make the move. At some point, you have to take that leap of faith. And with that, I'll I'll let you finish saying what you're saying before we start to move on to some college basketball talk. So all of that being said, I I do not see Seattle making a move to take basically give a second round pick or a high value pick just to move up. Seattle has a quarterback right now in Geno Smith. They're willing to draft someone to develop, and I, I they, they could do it at five. But if I'm Seattle, I'm trying to push to be aggressive to win now because I think you have a three-year window. You're, you're getting Bobby Wagner back. You've got the receiver still on decent deals. Running back, your issues have been resolved with Kenneth Walker. The offense looks pretty good. 
The defense looked a lot better last year. Again, I'm trying to acquire talent on Seattle, not not trade picks away to get it. And I don't again, know. Other- again, that that's if you were Seattle, and I keep hearing the words. You know, I don't believe that Seattle will do this or the Titans will do this, and they may not. But again, I just keep going back to taking that risk of missing out on your guy just because oh they're not going to do it. You know that that could that could burn you in the long run. I'm not saying you directly, but the Colts and especially Chris Ballard, who, as you mentioned, is kind of fighting to keep his job right now. My final thoughts on this, and again, I watched a lot of tape yesterday on Levis and Richardson in anticipation of this podcast, because thinking that those are the two we're going to get. I mean, I'd be ecstatic if one of the other two somehow dropped. Mel Kuyper says that he think, thinks Levis is the second best prospect. Now, that would make the argument that you, if he is not taken before the first two, maybe you trade up to three to get him. But that all being said, too, I believe that Richardson and Levis are basically the same prospect. Yes, you have more of a bit of it. You have better accuracy with Levis, but there's better body control and mobility that Richardson can bring you. Either way, we're getting a quarterback that's going to be molded in the image of like a Jalen Hurts. Yep. I think it's a no-lose situation in my mind. And that's why, and where I'll stick to the end of this, is that that's why you're not making a move at all. And I think that's where I will leave it for now. We'll see if anything happens, but that's my prediction for what this is going to turn into. Uh, not gonna lie, I'm trying as hard as I can not to get one more word in on that, but <laughs> we should probably get moving on here. So you want to dive into some IU women's and men's basketball talk? Yeah, so luckily the women's side is not gonna take very long as there's only a few brief announcements on that front for this week. So we had talked last week about how the IU women's team had kind of been staying whole and unfortunately there was some news that I ended up reading that I didn't know about that kind of has transpired. So apparently Keandra Brown made the announcement that she was entering the transfer portal. And that's big because I thought she might be the first. Turns out she is the third prospect. So you had sophomore guard Caitlin Peterson left in or leaving the team in December. And then sophomore forward Moa Zarek also went into the transfer portal a week ago today. So again, what the implications of that are for right now is that the IU women's team now has four open spots. And that does include, after the fact, the two uh, high-level point guards and shooting guards we mentioned on here last week. So again, there's the potential this team could be looking even better than they do right now. But some other news on the women's side, Grace Berger did officially declare for the WNBA draft. She's looking likely as a top 10 pick. Some scouts even have her in the top five. So again, pretty lofty projections. We kind of talked about that being about where she was, and I'm sure she's ready to go all for it. So in some other news, Coach Terry Morin was selected as the assistant coach for the 19 and under USA women's team this week. This is pretty significant for them because – Again, it shows that people are looking at this coach as an up-and-comer. Yes, she's a bit older, but knowing the significance of where IU has come in a very short amount of time on the women's side is impressive. And then finally, for the women's announcements, 
Coach Terry Morin was named the AP Coach of the Year, which is the first time in IU's women's history that that has occurred. So, again, congratulations to her. Yes. For congratulations, and what a big honor for her to be picked as an assistant coach for the 19-under USA women's team. Those are both pretty big accomplishments. So, again, pretty big week on that front. And, again, as I hear anything on the transfer portal front for the women's team, I'll add it, but we might not hear a whole lot because things are – transpiring and teams are just now starting to get to talk to other uh, to other prospects, kind of seeing where they're at. So on the men's side, again, much bigger week in terms of the names. So again, the women's side, it was mostly very low bench role players. But I, I, I sit and I keep going back and forth with this one a lot. So point guard Tamar Bates has announced that he is entering the transfer portal. And again, He was 0-13 in the tournament, but again, you're now looking at another one of IU's leading scorers going. So there is no one left remaining other than Trey Galloway, who averaged more than six points. You are now looking at a completely new team and basically almost a new starting lineup. And I, I would like to think of Bates as their sixth man. He played a lot of minutes this year. So... For him, I was losing an excellent three-point shooter. He was 35% on those threes. He, As I said, he averaged six points a game, and he was 93% from the free-throw line. So, again, I alluded to all year how I thought IU kind of struggled on that front. You're basically losing your best player in that regard. Now, he has two years of eligibility left. And in my mind, this is kind of shocking to me that he is leaving. Again, you're losing your starting point guard. Yes, you have Gabe Cups coming in, but that could have been Bates' role. So in my mind, and I want to get your opinion real quick on this before we dive any further, do you think Coach Woodson might have told him you're probably not going to be a starter or even playing as much this year? Or do you think it's just kind of one of those, like, I wanted a bigger role, you didn't give it to me, and I'm out of here? Well, it's kind of hard to tell, but you, you and I both know that Woodson's a no-nonsense you know, type of coach. So it wouldn't surprise me if there was some kind of underlining storyline behind this. But either way, like you said, like I just said, you and I both know how Woodson is. He's he's one of those coaches who it's it's his way or you're out of the way. You know what I mean? So and it very well could be just that. And I get and that's going to be a trend that continues. Now, I will say I hope Tamar Bates has the best of luck. And again, this is a kid that. He took the responsible route. He found out a couple years ago he was going to be having a kid, mm-hmm. decided to still took, take that responsibility to help raise his own child. He's going to school, and he's continuing to do well in his classes. Again, yes, these are things that should be typically done by a player, but I just from the, from the end of balancing college by itself, that's a full-time job alone. Then combined with your taking responsibilities to also raise kids. I mean, oh, my absolutely. mom did it. It's not an easy thing to do. Right. And so I wish him the best of luck in that regard. Now, moving forward, though, the other big news that IU got in terms of transfer portal, in terms of people leaving, is Jordan Geronimo. Again, I love this kid in the program, but he just never really developed the way that people would have liked for him to. So, again, He did average his career high this year with 4.2 points and 2.4 rebounds a game. I think Geronimo likely thought he would have had a bigger role just given how he started to develop last year. 
but he really didn't. And to be fair to him, I don't think that Woodson gave him a fair shake. Again, not to disrespect my coach there, but I really wanted to see this kid do better. And again, there's been some prospects that have left IU that have gone on to do better. And there's been rumors about him, Geronimo potentially going to Michigan. I mean, to me, that'd be a huge slap in the face. But again, like with Bates, I'm wishing him all the best of luck moving forward too as well. So again, I alluded to a second ago, you know, with the idea of where I use at in terms of the prospect portal. So again, for me, the landscape seems to be right now that Gabe Cups is going to have a pretty big role as a freshman unless you get one of the transfer transfer portal guards that you're after, which to this point, I haven't heard anything in the last couple of days. Been some visits that I'll talk about in a second, but it seems like Cups is going to come in and probably be starting day one unless you do something. Yep. So with that being said, I get to talk about some good news finally. So yay. So IU did get its first recruit in the transfer portal this week in the form of Peyton Sparks center from Ball State. So the past year, he averaged 13.3 points a game and 8.7 rebounds. So, Joey, here's my question for you. You see those two stat lines. I know you're a Ball State Cardinal in terms of being a fan of them. Sure, but sure. Do, but do you think that this move is the one that gives IU its replacement for Trace Jackson Davis? Or do you think this could be just the beginning and IU's trying to adapt to a new type of roster since now – all of the prospects pretty much belong to just Mike Woodson in classes that he's recruited. Yeah, so obviously replacing Trace Jackson Davis is the biggest part of this roster, but it's not the only part of this roster. As you just mentioned, there's going to be several holes to fill. So I do believe that as a whole, the program is kind of starting to go in a different direction as far as how maybe Woodson builds this roster. And as far as, you know, for Peyton Sparks, you you don't want him to compare himself, you know, or consider himself as a replacement to Trace Jackson Davis because that, as you know, Adam, are huge shoes to fill, no pun intended. And, you know, that kind of pressure could really get to him, especially taking that kind of a jump in, you know, going from Ball State to IU. We all know the storied history down in Bloomington. But I will he fill in for Trace Jackson Davis? Yes. Do I see him as a replacement for him? No, I like the second part of your question. I more agree with. I think they're kind of trying to build a different type of roster, and they were kind of honestly forced to do so with all these, you know, Hood Shafino leaving, Jackson Davis, who just a little bit, a little bit ago today, we already knew it, but officially declared for the NBA draft. Then you're leaving Geronimo in the transfer portal, Bates. So it's huge overall. So. I see this roster being built a little bit differently than maybe in years past. Absolutely. So speaking of the transfer portal and how the roster is going to be built, there is a couple of announcements coming from down in Bloomington. So first is that Chris Latham, the Harvard guard, has made his official visit to IU, but there are no words yet if he plans to go and attend IU. I know that IU has had a lot of interest in this kid, and that's coming from multiple sources. So, again, you need a guard replacement still. I mentioned that last week that you need a shooter like he ha- like he is that can shoot from the three-point line. So, again, 
Hopefully we can land some good prospects with him. I know there's still, there's a lot of rumors on Nick Timberlake. I think IU is likely out on him just because he's getting interest from Kansas and Timberlake did name a top five in the portal that does not include IU. So probably unfortunately, and I wanted him just as much, if not more. So that's a pretty big blow in my opinion. And then obviously, you know, there's some other prospects out there. Dickinson, I'm not hearing much on that front, but you have a couple of other guys. And so let's talk about them for just a second. Just some new names that have come up this week. So first I'd like to throw out Virginia center, Caden Shedrick. He put his name into the portal and he did have a Zoom meeting for with IU. And one of the things about why I was thinking about IU adapting to maybe a new type of roster is Shedrick is 6'11". So he's actually taller than ever currently. And that does include Peyton Sparks that could potentially come mm-hmm. to IU. Now, this is not the kid that is going to be takes over for him, but he would kind of give kind of a rival to maybe some of the bigger centers in the conference. So looking at him at 6'11", he did start 15 games last year. He averaged six, almost six and a half points, almost four rebounds and one and a half walks a game in just 17.5 minutes of gameplay. So for him, his free throw shooting is at 79.4% and he shoots almost 65% from the fields. He is a good comparison to Trace Jackson Davis by those percents. So he shoots very close to the rim. Trace Jackson Davis did that. But when Shedrick shoots, he converts 76.5% of the shots that he takes at the rim. So again, he's not getting blocked a ton, and he offers you a good a good placement there. So no yeah, and work just him. Just butt in for a second, Adam. I, I believe that this is somebody that should be pretty high on the priority list for IU. I know we just talked about Peyton Sparks and his possibility of replacing Trace Jackson Davis in that starting lineup. But as you mentioned it, there's a lot more similarities when you talk about Shedrick. And I think that he would be one of the more ideals replacement for Trace Jackson Davis. Yeah. Like I said, not a whole lot of points, but again, you, you look at the increased size and, and we've talked about for years that IU has adapted to this system and they, they did it under Archie Miller and they started to even do it under, see, I was just talking about him a few days ago and I cannot remember his, his name right now. What was it? Tom Crean. There we go. Took me a second, but underneath both of those head coaches, IU started to adapt to shorter centers. And I think it's a, about time to get away from it. Again, you want, to be able to adapt to the Big Ten, and you have a lot bigger players that you're going up against, I think that having a bigger center could solve one of IU's problems at least. Maybe he doesn't perform like Jackson Davis either, but I think it would be a start. Well, and not to mention, he's playing obviously much higher level competition in the ACC with Virginia than Peyton Sparks was in the MAC at Ball State. And I'm sure... I just I, again, I don't like to critique Ball State in the MAC just because I know the level of competition, like you said, is less. But again, Sparks does have two years of eligibility left. You start thinking about that for him, and one of the big pieces that can come with it too is that he may not be ready for the increased rigor of play. So 
he might need to sit and take some time. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Now, I cannot think off the top of my head. I don't know if Cedric has one year or two years of eligibility left. But if I'm right, I want to say he has one year of eligibility, which, again, for IU means you're trying to get. Yeah, he he has one year of eligibility left. So you're trying to get someone to come in this season and compete. And that I think could, Cedric that is could looking work out. That. You know, that could work out in Sparks' favor also. As you said, he can kind of take a back seat this next year and then still have a full year of eligibility once Cedric leaves the program after this year. If, of course, IU was to bring Shedrick in, that is nothing guaranteed yet. Right. So this one is a little bit bigger in terms of it, its significance, but IU had an in-home visit with Jamison Battle this week, so they actually went to him. Again, I just feel like if you're a team going to a prospect, that's showing your interest in him. So Battle has been around the college game for a little bit, so – He played at George Mason previously and then transferred this past season to Minnesota. And, or sorry, he transferred two seasons ago to Minnesota. And I'll get into some of his big games here in a second. But he is a prospect that also has one year of eligibility left. So I think IU is looking at veteran based players. I don't think they necessarily care about the younger players because it's going to give their prospects that they're recruiting a chance to develop. But Look at your Jamison battle this past year. He averaged 12.4 points a game, three and a half rebounds, and shot at a 31.1% clip from behind the arc. So again, he is considered one of the top transfer portal options, and here is why. So battle fits the mold of a versatile center who can score from behind the arc. As I mentioned a second ago, he's able to drive to the basket, and he's able to do well in post-up situations. So you look at his performances that prove this. So again, this this season and last season, he had a 21 point and 14 rebound performance against Northwestern. He had a 39 point effort at Maryland and a 31 point game at Illinois. So again, a player that can go on the road and do well. Not to mention at George Mason, Mason, I believe he averaged almost 18 points a game in each of his seasons there previously to going to Minnesota. So again, pretty decent prospect. He is able to get to the the goal. He's able to score. Now, let's get to my big final one here that I'm very anxious about. So, and this one is very big for IU because again, anything that I can do to take from North Carolina is going to make me happy (laughs) because I have my list of teams that I hate. Kentucky's number one, Duke is number two, and North Carolina sits at three and then Purdue's at four for basketball. Jeez, that's rough. I thought you disliked Ohio State more than Purdue. Oh, correct. Ohio State, let me put them above Duke, then Duke, then Purdue. Okay, thank you. That makes me feel a little bit better, but continue. Valid points. Okay, so IU is looking very hard at point guard Caleb Love. And again, I mentioned a second ago that as of right now, Gabe Cups is your starting point guard, basically. Chris Ledham out of Harvard is more of a shooting guard prospect. You could put him at point guard, but that's not really his natural position. So with Caleb Love, Mike Woodson and Gazmir Rosemond have been in communication with him. And this comes from the Indianapolis Star. So 
again, and then pigs.com was the first to report the contact as well. This was well over a week ago. What's significant about this is that when he was going into colleges, IU did originally make an offer to him three years ago. So again, there was interest in Caleb Love several years ago when he was the number 14 prospect in the country. So again, high pedigree. This is a guy that has been considered to be a top-level prospect before. Now, Love's comment on one of the big reasons why he's looking to leave North Carolina is that he actually wants to be closer to home, as he is from St. Louis. I'm sure that gets you all excited. Yes, and of course, I can tell you for a fact that from Bloomington, St. Louis is probably only about a four-hour trip, give or take. Of course, we just made that trip to St. Louis this past weekend. So again, pretty exciting news on that front. Now, what is big is that the Indianapolis Star actually was able to get in contact with Dennis Love or with Caleb's father, Dennis, and so they were able to have some conversations. So we talked last week about what some of the prospects were looking for, and with Caleb Love, what he's looking for is he wants to win. It's as simple as that. I think North Carolina, remember, they started the year as number one. I think that's a big, big trigger of, we had these expectations and you failed. So again, in terms of some of the other parts of the quote that he said, he is wanting to be on a team that plays in a manner that is open, not having a bunch of clogged lanes. He wants to be able to take advantage of his playmaking skills. He wants to be in a situation that allows him to show his skill set. And then in terms of the play style he's able to look for, he's wanting to be in a situation where he can be taught as a man to improve his efficiency. So again, hopefully I use what he's looking for. But in terms of that, there's one more thing that his father said, and this is the one that's big to me. And I want to get your thoughts on it when I'm done reading it. But it says that he wants to be coached. He wants to be coached and really have someone help him get better. And then he obviously wants to be in a situation that allows him to achieve his ultimate goal, his dream to get to the NBA. So I want to get your thoughts on, do you think that IU would be the right setup for that? I know that the Herbert Williams is, I'm sure, an excellent coach down at North Carolina, but do you think that Woodson maybe is able to offer him a little bit better in that regard, or do you think that it's kind of a wash given North Carolina's pedigree as well? I think what I'm about to say might surprise you. Not only do I think Indiana is a good fit, for him, I think it's a perfect fit, and I can break that down for you as to why I think that. So, first, let's, let's go through everything you just said about him. He wants to be closer to home. As I just mentioned, about a four-hour drive, give or take, to St. Louis from Bloomington. So put a check mark on that. He wants to win. IU, while, as we mentioned, they've gone through a little bit of a overhaul, I do believe Mike Woodson can coach this team back to a winning season. So we'll put a check mark on that for now. He wants to be on a team that does not have a clogged lane. You've mentioned it. IU is not loaded with a bunch of big men. They could spread out the floor and open that lane up for him at any given opportunity. So we'll put a check mark on that one. Uh, he wants to be able to take advantage of his playmaking skills. Well, you saw with Jalen Hood Shafino, you know, he came in as a freshman even and was able to display those playmaking skills. So we'll put a check mark on that. Um, uh, he wants to be in a situation where he can be taught, where he can be coached, like you said, with Woodson. What better than a coach who has experience in the NBA? And speaking of the NBA, 
the end goal, according to his father, is for him to get to the league. Again, I, I throw out the two names that we've already talked about. Trace Jackson Davis and Jalen hood Shafino are both on their way to the league this year in the draft. So every single thing that you've thrown out there, I feel like Indiana gives him a great opportunity to achieve all those things. So I believe that Indiana is a perfect fit for Love, and I would not be surprised if that is the decision he comes comes on. And I will say this much, and then we'll kind of wrap we'll wrap up and move on to Purdue. But I know that Xavier Johnson has not yet necessarily been cleared for his medical hardship for an extra year. I think if you're IU right now, you have to start being aggressive with these prospects that you're looking at from the transfer portal. I think you've got to get the talent in because again, you if you lose Xavier Johnson as well, you're then down all top. You're down all. I believe it's all six or seven of your top scorers from last season. And again, Love comes in with a 14.6 average, a 3.3 assists, and 3.3 rebounds per game while shooting 32% from deep. That replaces Jalen hood Shafino in my mind. Yeah, and I, I could see all those averages coming up next year because there's no, no doubt about it that Love would be the guy next year for the Hoosiers. And I think that is an excellent selling point that IU can make to him. Obviously, I think IU can make that selling point to a lot of the prospects, but I know that that is certainly one that I'd be after. And then finally, I, I know that I haven't heard much on this front, but I'd really still like to get that center Ike out of Wyoming. Again, if you had him and Love on the same team and both have averaged solid points, you could basically bring back your Jalen hood Shafino and Trace Jackson, you know, tandem right there. But again, I think a lot remains to be seen. And until IU really gets some more prospects, we won't really know their their full direction next year. But the fact that they are in on a lot of the top transfer portal prospects and that they have interest in coming to IU might speak, like you've said, to that manner of Woodson knows how to coach. Woodson is able to get the best out of his players. And that's the type of coach that people want to play for. Yep, absolutely. So what do you got on Purdue for us this week? Yeah, so I'm going to keep this short and sweet. There's not a whole lot of news as far as transfer reporter goes. As of the time, as we're talking right now, there's still not been anybody for Purdue entering the transfer portal. But one individual who's been dominating headlines for Purdue, obviously, and he's going to be my only real talking point is Zach Eady. So first off, let's talk about all the awards Zach Eady has gained this year. Obviously, he's had one of the best, if not the best, seasons in Purdue history. But just this season, these are the awards he's he's been awarded. Naismith Player of the Year, AP Player of the Year, Oscar Robertson Trophy, NABC Player of the Year, Sporting News Player of the Year, Pete Newell Big Man Award, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Award. He was a consensus first-team All-American Big Ten Player of the Year, first team All Big Ten, second, or sorry, Big Ten All Defensive Team, Big Ten Tournament MVP. That's a lot of accolades, Adam. Yes, it is. So you look at that and you think, well, one of the most dominants in history. Why, why would he even care if he comes back next year? Well, I've got a few reasons here. So obviously, the low-hanging fruit is the unfinished business. I mean, we all saw what how the season ended for the Purdue and the heartbreak that it was. And I mean, it's not like this was an elite eight, you know, 
elimination in the tournament. You're getting bounced by a 16 seed in the first round. I, there can't be any part of him that is okay with going out like that. And then also, he's got a chance to move up on several key statistics on the all-time list for Purdue. In fact, if he averages 22 points, a little over 22 points per game, he can overtake Rick Mount as the all-time leading scorer in Purdue history, which Possibly. he averaged just that this year, maybe even a little more. If he averages nine rebounds per game next season, he can overtake Joe Barry Carroll as the all-time leading rebounder in Purdue history. And he has a legitimate chance of cracking the top five in all-time blocks. So those are three of the biggest statistics in basketball. And he has a chance to headline basically all three of those if he were to return. So, like I said, I'm keeping this short and sweet. But my question for you, Adam, actually I got two questions. The first one is, do you think these reasons reasons are enough to convince Edie to return to West Lafayette? I think right now, and sometimes I, I talk about this in teaching, but sometimes no news is good news. And not like, you know, you alluded to Trace Jackson Davis, you know, announcing officially his draft prospect or his news. Jalen hood Shafino recently has announced that he's leaving as well this past week. Yep. So you you look at no news coming out of that front for, for Purdue, and it seems more likely to me that he's definitely looking to stay. So for me, I think that the reasons you gave, however, for him, I don't think it's going to, like, overhang on his head of being like, oh, yeah, like, I want to be the best in Purdue history. But I think the unfinished business – that's going to be his reason to return is that he really does want to come back and do what Purdue has not managed to do for at least the last three years and beat at least a number 13 seed in the tournament. And I will add in this, the only quote unquote news as far as that goes is at his press conference after accepting the Naismith player of the year award, obviously he was asked, you know, about his decision and his response was still have no timeline. I have no clue. So Hopefully it is, like you said, one of those circumstances of no news is good news. But that leads me to my second question for you, Adam. What are the expectations for Purdue if Zach Eady returns and if Zach Eady decides not to return? And talk, tell, I'm sure you feel as strongly as I do about this, but what kind of drop-off that would be without Zach Eady? Well, that's actually where I wanted to start, is what the expectations without him would look like. Now, Purdue... I don't know outside of Edie what their height looks like, but I'd imagine you're looking at probably Trey Kaufman Wren being your starting center. And I want to say he's 6'9 or 6'10, I believe. And then I know you guys got that Stromberg or the international prospect. I, if I said his name wrong, I apologize. Yeah. But I don't know. Is he coming this year or will he be in next year? Give me just a second, Adam. I'm trying to pull it up real quick. I know we talked about him last week. All right, I mean, so as far as centers go, if Zach Eady was obviously decided not to come, that Will, Will Berg out of Sweden would Berg, be our okay. center next year most likely. He, he was a red shirt this year. Okay, so basically he, there's no threat in Purdue not being able to continue the cycle. Now, I will right. say, just from what I know about Purdue, they they have a tendency that once one center leaves, the next one steps up and steps forward. 
And I know that Purdue relies a lot on that talent usually. So Will Berg would have a big step into that role. Now that being said too, and again, Purdue would kind of, they're not like IU where they're losing a lot of players, but Purdue would hit the new identity as well of, you know, and it goes back to what you've talked about previously. Someone would have to step up and I'm just going to say it. I don't think there's really anyone on this team that can consistently right now step up. I know Purdue is probably where IU is, where they are starting spring training, which seems weird because the tournament just ended. (laughs) Yeah. But Again, I think the drop-off for Purdue is absolutely huge. And I don't I don't think it's because Zach Eadie's a phenomenal talent. Again, I've been kind of critical of him before. But I think you're taking a prominent player if he goes to the NBA or just decides, eh, I'm done with this, whatever he chooses. And you're basically starting over again because then the team really does have to find their identity and what's going to work for them this season. So – I would say Purdue is borderline NIT tournament entrance next year without it. And again, I, that might be, it might be the worst Purdue team that we've seen in years. Now that being said on the positive end, if Edie comes back, which I expect to happen. So this conversation I had is basically eh, mute, whatever you want to call it void. I imagine that Purdue again, probably starts the season as a top 10 team. I think they're certainly deserving of it. But again, if I'm Purdue, I I think they can get to the tournament. Obviously, again, it's just a matter of how far. And again, I think Edie's not going to want that taste in his mouth of getting to the point where he can't play well. So my guess is Purdue wins one game in the tournament and then they lose the second game. I, I just I don't see them as a championship caliber team until someone other than Edie can step up. Again, IU had two solid players this year. I know Purdue's got a little bit of everything, and you know players can have spurts. But I think, and you would agree with me on this, I would hope you need someone that can consistently step up next to Edie and help him and the team win to get further into the tournament. Well, I do agree with that, and I do think that there are a few guys on the team that have that potential of stepping up. It's just a matter of whether or not it'll pan out that way or not. Of course, I'm referring to guys like Mason Gillis, who will be back for his senior year, you know, Braden Smith, Fletcher Lawyer, who will both be sophomores, Caleb First, who's a guy who we've still been waiting to see him reach his full potential. I do believe that there's a potential that he could get one or two of those guys to take that next step forward next year. If that is the case, I do think that they are a legitimate contender. And to your point, if he does come back, I know like Fox Sports, ESPN, all of them have already released their way too early preseason rankings. And Purdue is in the top five in both of those. I'm sure that that would change if Zach Eady did, in fact, decide to leave for the draft or to play overseas or something. But I'm not going to disagree with anything you said. I can definitely see the big drop off if if Eady loses, but. I do also think that they are a legitimate contender if he decides to stay. I can certainly agree to that too. I'm again, as much as I don't want Purdue to be successful, I do want the best for Edie. I think he's earned every right to go out and not be a loser in the first round. Cause four consecutive years of it, I, I could imagine that guy would never want to touch a basketball again in his life. Okay. Before we start getting too far into depressing me about Purdue losing early in the tournaments, You want to talk about some Pacers? I do, but I want to mention 
this is not about Purdue or uh, anything like that. I wanted to give a quick shout out to Trace Jackson Davis winning the Carl Malone Award this past week for the best power forward as well. Forgot to mention that with my notes from earlier. So got us back on a positive groove. Let's dive into some Pacers now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So again, this will probably be a little bit shorter than previous weeks as I've been trying to work on consolidating my notes a little bit better. But again, the Pacers continued their losing ways this week and it finally finished the tank job, hopefully for the most part. So this past week, they began by facing the Dallas Mavericks, where they lost by a final score of 127 to 104. Benedict Mathurin led the way with 22, and Andrew Nebhardt had 17 points, five rebounds, and five assists, where the Pacers were missing three starters. Now, I mentioned three because obviously you're not going to hear these two names past this point, but... Tyrese Halliburton and Miles Turner have been officially shut down for the season. And since they didn't really play from the Dallas game, they're not playing moving forward. So again, this was all beginning of last week. So do you think that was the right decision? Obviously before I dive any further in. Yeah, absolutely. At this point, you can only benefit from a move like that. Obviously you need to lose some more games, but on top of that, you're getting guys like Benedict Mathur and more playing time which could be pivotal going into next season, which we all hope is a little bit different for the Pacers than it was this season. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned Benedict Mathurin because we're going to keep talking about him. So looking at the second game this past week, Milwaukee came to Indy and the Pacers again lost by a final score of 149 to 136. So for that game, it was significant for Milwaukee because Drew Holiday had a high or his career high of 51 points against the Pacers, and then Giannis had a triple double. So, again, pretty good performances by them. Giannis doing Giannis things, exactly. Hopefully, the MVP this season. But looking at the Pacers, they were outscored in every quarter, so they played from behind that entire game. So, Benedict Bethurin, again, I mentioned that we'd be talking about him, he had 29 in that game as well. Aaron Naismith had 22. Noria had 18. Jalen Smith fouled out early, but he had 17 when he fouled out. And then Andrew Nebhardt had 15 points and 15 rebounds. Excellent for a point guard. Not what you would expect from him. But again, solid numbers. So heading into the third game, the Pacers surprisingly got a win. They got one win this week. Why in the world would they do that? Well, and it actually hurts, I think, in the sense of they were shorthanded. So I don't know why they won that game. <laughs> but, again, Pacers were still without Turner. They were without uh, Tyrese Halliburton. So, again, they beat the playoff hopeful Oklahoma City Thunder, who I had no idea were actually in contention, were in contention as of right now and are, I believe, are in the play-in tournament in the West. Yeah, I didn't Conference. realize that either, honestly. So again, you know, we've been dissing Oklahoma City all this time and only to realize they're right in the hunt of the playoffs like everybody else. There's only like three or four games that separates like six or seven teams in the West. Huh. It's pretty ridiculous. For And again, those are all teams that are still in the play-in. I believe that only the bottom two in the West are out for sure, which is Houston. And I apologize that I cannot think of the second team right Portland. now. Portland is third. There's one team, I believe, that is with them as well. But Portland is still in it 
barely, if I'm correct on that. But anyway, I digress to that point. So looking at the Oklahoma City Thunder game, the shorthanded team had TJ McConnell as the leading scorer who had 21 points, nine rebounds, and eight assists. So again, very solid numbers for him. You know, he doesn't get near triple doubles every day, obviously. Jalen Smith had 12 points and 15 rebounds. And again, the team, while they were still playing shorthanded, they shot 46% from the field and out-rebounded the Thunder 64-49. to Now, again, I've alluded to rebound problems all season. They've been picking it up here lately, even in losses that they're closing the gap. So hopefully next year that'll work out a little bit better. But that win was important because the Pacers had lost six of their previous seven which we alluded to the one game that they won last week against Toronto. So that was their last win, obviously, before this game. And then finally, for last week, the Pacers lost to the Cleveland Cavaliers on Sunday night by a final score of 115 to 105. So Donovan Mitchell in that game scored 40 for the Cavaliers, and that was significant because it helped to finally eliminate the Pacers from playoff contention. So, again, pretty significant point. Obviously, the Pacers are now out of the playoffs for the third consecutive year. So, again, starting to hurt my feelings that Victor Oladipo was our last shot at redemption on that. And then looking at the scores for that game, Benedict Mathurin, again, 19 points, 9 rebounds, and he had three fourth-quarter offensive fouls, though. So, again, he really struggled towards the end of the game. And then TJ McConnell had 16 points and five assists off the bench. So they will be playing Detroit this week at home. That'll wrap up that series with them. Then they'll be going to play against the Knicks in Indy. I want to say that is Friday night. And then they play one game, I believe, away at New York. And that'll end the season. So the Pacers, as I mentioned before, they will obviously be without key starters the rest of the way. And to this point, they currently sit in sixth, I believe, towards the bottom. So they are in 24th place in the league. And while they have not officially locked in an early lottery pick, they're looking to likely be picking in the top seven. And most likely they will be picking at six. If they can lose out and Portland can kind of win a game or two, they will be picking at fifth. Or at least that's where their slot would currently be. Yeah, and... I looked it up right before we got on because I, I talk about the NBA lottery, but I, I didn't fully know how it worked. If you don't mind, Adam, I'll go through it real quick, and then we'll sure. talk about where the Pacers stand. So the NBA lottery, all 14 teams that don't make the playoffs have at least a little bit of a chance of securing that number one overall pick. Of course, this year that would be Victor Wimbenyama or however you say his last name. But, yep, that sounds right to me. So percentage-wise – the bottom three teams each have a 14% chance of getting that number one overall pick. So you're looking at Pistons, uh, help me, Rockets, and who else, Adam? Can't uh, remember the other one, but it's irrelevant. Then the team with the fourth worst record has a 12.5% chance of securing that pick. Moving down to team five, you're at a 10.5% chance of securing that pick. And then down to Team 6, where the Pacers stand right now, you're at a 9% chance of securing that pick. So as I mentioned, the Pacers currently are setting in that 6th slot, meaning they have that 9% chance of getting the number 1 overall pick. 
But in the final few games of the season, they can jump the Trailblazers to that number five spot, which would increase their percentage to 10.5%. You never know, Adam. That 1.5% could be what leads you guys to victor. Well, and here's the interesting thing with that right now. And unfortunately, this is kind of interesting for where the Pacers currently stand. Uh, There's the potential that they could still barely be picking at the top of the lottery. Now, that's significant for a couple of reasons. They could be as low, I believe, as 12th, depending on how this shakes out. I do not expect them to win any more games, obviously. But right now, you have Houston ahead of you for sure. You have San Antonio right behind them in the West. Detroit is currently the league's worst team. And then Charlotte is again, the second worst in the East. So the, they, the team can't pick any earlier than fifth, but right now the Pacers, I believe they have one more win than the trailblazers. So they need the trailblazers to win two of their next three or four games. Cause the trailblazers have four left while the Pacers have three. So if the trailblazers can win, Two of those and the Pacers lose out, Pacers will be picking at fifth overall. And again, if the Pacers well, maybe. win out. They'll have the fifth best odds of getting the number one pick, but I digress. True. But all that being said, if they're picking at fifth, or not picking, but if they have the fifth best odds, that puts us at almost 10%. Which yep, 10.5%. I'm good with that. Sixth puts us at 9%. So again, you're still pretty close. I, I don't think. Like I said, we're going to be picking any later than probably seventh. And we're obviously not picking any earlier than fourth. But I know that this is a team that could use a nice solid win. And even if the Pacers aren't picking at number one, the earlier of a pick that they can get, even if they don't get number one, the more likely it is they could just trade for the number one pick. Again, we have Boston's first. Cleveland's now in the playoffs for sure. So we have their first rounder coming our way next year. And... Obviously, we have our own. So we'll trade three first to move up to number one. We'll get Victor for four years, and then he'll go sign with the Lakers or somebody after that. (laughs) So I'm sure that's how that would pan out. That is absolutely true. But who knows? Maybe being from France, he might not have the loyalty of big market teams either. Right. So with that being said, you want to jump into verse of the week for us? Yes, let's do that. So obviously – Easter weekend is coming up, so it's only fitting that I went with this verse, actually two verses, and it comes from Luke 24, verses 6 and 7, and it says, He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? So, and those two verses right there, Adam, you have the story of Easter, you know, On Friday, all hope seemed lost when our Savior was crucified on the cross. You know, the darkest day in human history is when our Savior was was crucified. Of course, that's what we all thought. Then three days later, he was raised from the dead so that we could defeat death in the same way he did if we only believe in him as our Savior and accept him as our Savior. And... It's a very humbling, beautiful story, and it's one that definitely needs to be told. And I just think it's important that we don't forget the true meaning of Easter. I mean, I know the Easter eggs and Easter bunny are all fun, but at the end of the day, this is what it's about, man. 
you're absolutely right about that. I know that, you know, just from my past and how we always looked at Easter, you know, like, yeah, you have the Easter egg hunts and you eat the traditional meal and whatnot. But I know that this was always one of those times when I went to church that, you know, I kind of started having that feeling of hope. And I know that that's something, especially in the troubling times that I think that a lot of us are in that we can all certainly use. And just as a reminder of knowing what God did in the aftermath of, you know, despite human error and human sin and everything wrong that we do, that there's still someone out there that is willing to be there for us and let us have a chance to try to redeem ourselves in the sense of, you know, you've sinned, but here you are still, and I'm going to give you the chance to make all the right decisions. So again, I, I ride on that hope each and every year and it's a good time just for me to reminisce on it once again absolutely very well said adam but i think that'll do it for this week on on the show um again i would just like to say that our thoughts and prayers are with all those that have been affected by the tornado outbreak and we're thinking of everybody as we look at more you know dangerous weather moving in in the next day or two um i hope everybody stays safe We'll be praying for you. Um, until next week, you can find us at HoosierStateSports.com or on Facebook at Hoosier State Sports. But until next week, God bless. And have a good week.